Hey, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Southside Tribe Podcast, the podcast that helps you stay on side with the Chicago Red Stars. It's your girl, Sandra. Here today with a special edition preseason episode, we're joined by a special guest, and uh, we can't wait to get into all things Chicago Red Stars preseason. And uh, I'm joined today by my friend, homie, and colleague, Claire Watkins, aka the Scam Originator. How are you doing today, Claire? I'm good. I'm excited. We're getting into it. This feels like the first proper, like, we're talking 2021 Red Stars today. It feels, it feels good. It feels great. And, you know, we thought, who better to chat all things Chicago Red Stars preseason than with Chicago Red Stars head coach and friend of the pod, Rory Dames. Good morning, Rory Dames. How are you doing today? Good morning, Southside. How are you guys? Hanging in there. We, we really wanted some updates on some Chicago Red Stars preseason, so we're like, let's manifest this. Let's make it happen. <laughs> and here we are. Right. And here we are. And we got you headed on the way to training, apparently, so this is, this is perfect. Uh, I guess really quickly before we jump into actual present preseason, uh, we did want to uh, pick your brain a little bit and get your thoughts and perspectives on the – NWSL draft that just took place. Um, a lot of different things, uh, different circumstances that came into play uh, in light of the pandemic with how the NWSL draft had to work. So we were just curious. Uh, Chicago Red Stars are notorious for their draft days. Uh, if you could maybe just walk us through the mindset of that draft day. I mean, you guys made a trade that morning, um, having to navigate the, the new rules and regulations headed in. What did you think of that? huge uh, first round allocation money trade with the Kansas City NWSL just just hit us all with the with your perspectives yeah that's a that's a big question uh I think on a, a personal standpoint we feel good about the draft that we had and the players we were able to acquire um the, you know with the rules changing I think it changed the mindset a little bit the players that we drafted we knew that we wouldn't see any of them until uh, the following February. So we, we basically did next year's draft in that draft. Um, also one of the reasons why we weren't afraid to trade away a first round pick because we knew that the, the players that we were going to select were all going to not uh, enter our team until the following year. So when they changed the rules, it certainly changed the landscape a little bit. Uh, for better or for worse, time will tell. But we feel good about the players we drafted. I mean, we got some good players. Um, you know, Madison was a, a target for us as a nine. So the fact that we were able to to make a swap with Portland and grab her, we were very happy about. Uh, we never would have thought that Kelsey would still be available when we drafted her. So we uh, we feel good about the quality that we're going to bring in. Um, some of the unknowns, though, are, as always, they have a spring season and a fall season of college, and a lot of things can happen in that time frame. Uh, it's, it's not usual that you would draft a player knowing that you're not going to get them for a year. Kind of correlated to the when the college recruiting was crazy and they were recruiting eighth graders and freshmen, and I would always ask myself, how are you recruiting these kids now with no idea of what they're going to look like in three to four years? Um, I think we have a pretty good idea of what the players we drafted are going to look like. I just think a lot of things can happen in the course of a year uh, and making sure that we keep in touch with them. Uh, we have to do that through their college coach to set up calls, which quite honestly, I find to be a little bit ridiculous, um, but that's what we've been told by the league. So that's the procedure that we follow. 
Um, so keeping tabs with them, we try to talk to them every two to three weeks. Uh, we're able to watch their games so we can see how they're doing. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's certainly different. And I think it'll be interesting to see what happens at next year's draft since half of next year's draft class came into this draft class. Um, but from a Chicago Red Star standpoint, we feel really good about the players that we were able to select and what we did on draft day. When you were, when you were watching that first round play out and um, Casey, Casey Woso bought into that first round for $175,000 in allocation money, did you have maybe a thought where you were like, man, well, if I knew that was on the table, maybe we would have done some things a little bit differently? Or was that a surprise to everybody? Or did you know that they might be coming in with like a big money move? Personally, I knew because I had spoke to Hugh earlier in the week about some other potential trades, and I knew that they had um, large amounts of allocation money they could use. I'm not positive on this. Uh, you guys would have to fact check me, but I do believe that Kansas City received some additional allocation money from the league as part of them coming into the team. So I think they had some money that they needed to use. And yeah, I mean, we, we all joked that they paid a lot of money for a right back. Um, but they, they got the player that they wanted. They got a player that's going to come into season with them pretty quick. And she's a very good player. Uh, but yeah, that was the big joke after that happened as well. That's the most expensive outside back in the history of the NWSL. Um, but I think they had some parameters that kind of pushed their hands a little bit that they needed to do it. And Hugh certainly knows what he's doing. He built two championship teams in this league. So I think we would all be foolish to, to second guess the decisions that he makes. <laughs> Rory, talk to me about that very long first round. Did it just get to a point where you guys were just razzing on each other and calling these timeouts for the sake of calling timeouts? Well, you know, it's funny because on the outside, it can seem kind of tedious, but this was probably the most uncertainty of who was going to go when. So literally, when you're at the draft live, you just get up and go to somebody's table or you're already standing at whoever has the next table's pick saying, Hey, well, if they take this one, but since we were all separated, every time somebody made a pick, you know, three or four teams were scrambling to try to move up into that next, next pick. I mean, Washington was trying to get up. KC was trying to get up. Portland was trying to get up. So people kept having to call timeouts because you can only field so many calls at a time. And, I had Scott on a call, Roddy on a call, and I was on a call. But when we're done with the calls, we still have to hang up and then talk to each other about what all these teams just had to say. So I think a majority of what went on in the first round was purely because the draft was virtual this year. Um, a, and because this the uncertainty of who was going one. I can't remember a draft where I couldn't have told you pretty confidently who I thought the first six or seven picks were going to be. And I couldn't have told you that in this draft. And every time somebody got picked, it was like, oh, well, that means – she's still there. And then it was a scramble. So people were calling timeouts just so they could do their due diligence in the moment. And don't forget the draft rules changed literally a week before the draft. So we were all still scrambling to try to figure out what the best course of action was from that. So I don't think anybody from a league standpoint enjoyed it. I don't think any of the coaches were <laughs> excited that there was another timeout, another timeout, but people weren't calling timeouts. You just call timeout. There was actual work getting done in those windows and the amount of time that you had to try to solve the problem without taking the timeout just wasn't realistic. It's so it's so funny uh, to hear you mention that because some of the some of the things that I think we had 
chatted a little bit about on our drafts or sort of our draft preview or like some of the things that we might miss from a regular draft. And obviously one of those things was being all in person and being able to catch up with each other. But one of them was definitely also uh, not being able to see coaches work a draft floor and uh, all the activity that, that takes place uh, for sure. But congrats on all, all of the selections. Um, there's a lot of exciting players that it sounds like you guys have uh, coming into the eventual mix for the Red Stars. Um, but let's get into actual uh, preseason stuff now. And, and just ahead of um, – getting into, you know, getting players returning into markets. There were, uh, you guys announced like a slew of, of returning players and re-signings. And I was just wondering if you could sort of speak to the importance of sort of still having that consistency with so many players who have uh, played together already. We've been in two finals the last two years, and I'm not going to say how many semifinals because it gets depressing, but we have a good core that's been there and done it. And, are only getting better. So it was important to, to keep that group. Um, I think we signed a majority of them for two to three years because I think that window's still open for them. So to lock those players down, have those players still want to be there, have those players still want to try to get over that hump here and not somewhere else, I think is a, a credit to everybody involved. Uh, but it was important to, to lock them in. So, and then add some pieces to it. And I think we've done that. So we're very excited about the year. Um, I'm not sure that we're sure what the year looks like. I'm not sure anybody is, to be honest. Uh, but the, the trainings have been great, ultra competitive. Um, players are engaged. I don't want to say people are healthy because I feel like as soon as I say that, something will happen today. But we certainly have more people doing more things at this point of the year than we have in previous years do the health. Um, so I think we feel real good about where we're going and, and what the year is going to hold for us. Um, I'm not going to make myself look foolish by giving a number to how many people you guys already have under contract, but it's close to that. It's close to that 24 person number. Um, but you guys also invited in a number of players who we saw in the challenge cup or saw in the fall series who are still trying to kind of earn either that team contract or replacement player contract or training player contract. Um, can you talk about, some of those players, like some of the names are, you know, Cameron Bielgowski's back, Danny Rhodes is back, Ariel Chavarin is back. What are they training for at this point? And um, what does that mean for the team? Well, I think anybody who played with them in the, in the Challenge Cup and went through the year with us last year, we certainly felt like we owed it to them to bring them back and give them another shot. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. It, it was by no means uh, an easier last year. And all those players that were in Utah with us, you know, went through the positives and the negatives of what Utah brought. So we told all of them at the end of last season, you know, if you want to come back and come to preseason and compete again, we'd love to have you. And credit to all of those guys, they all came back. Um, Cassie Rohan's back. Uh, Tatum Malazzo was with us at the end of the year because she was coming off being hurt. She's back and is back. So a, they trained with us all last year, so they know the culture, they know the standards, that's important. And B, they're all, not a year, but what, six months? Six months more confident, six months better, six months to go away and physically prepare a little bit differently to come in and meet the standards. So they're training for spots, obviously, first and foremost. Um, but we have an Olympics. We're going to lose players to the Olympics. Um Again, not sure what that looks like. I'm not sure if we're allowed to have replacement players for the Olympics. I haven't seen anything on those things. 
Uh, but we also have a very good reserve team that will start up in April. So we're trying to continue to develop them and bring them along. And I would say all of those players aren't far off um, from being able to get onto our roster. And I certainly think they're all good enough to play on the league. So they're just competing. You know, the simplest answer I can give you is like everybody else in the group, they're competing. Um. Speaking of the Olympics, this is actually a little bit of a pivot, but uh, I know everyone Everyone was really excited yesterday to see that um, Bianca and George had made Canadian allocation, um, and she was obviously in camp for them before, I think, having to leave with a knee injury. Can you just talk a little bit about – I mean, that's like kind of the big exciting story going into just uh, what the Red Stars are doing this year in terms of – international players can you talk a little bit about her year and sort of this isn't quite the culmination of the journey yet but how she's kind of well on her way yeah I mean Bianca's just a great human being uh, very excited for you know I, I thought she had a very good challenge cup I thought she fell off a bit in the fall series but I think people forget that she literally didn't play a game for a little bit over 18 months from when we drafted her to when we were able to get her healthy to play. Um, She came in extremely fit, extremely sharp, uh, had a good first few days with us. The the news about her knee was disappointing for all of us, but, you know, if Bianca showed anything, her ability to come back from uh, difficult circumstances is second to none. She's very resilient. And the the Canadian opportunity – you know, I spoke with the, the new coach, and Bianca certainly somebody they plan to build around in the future. Uh, I honestly don't know where she would have fallen or where she will fall for the Olympics, uh, but people forget she's only 22 and is going to have a long career ahead of her, both domestically and internationally, and so we're really excited for her. Um, and I, I don't know, she just she just had her knee, what is today, Friday? I think she had her surgery on Wednesday, um, and I won't go into a ton of details, except the news post-surgery was all very positive and very good. So we're excited about that as well. So she'll she'll do what she needs to do to get herself back. Um, she'll certainly play a big role for us this year. Um, and I think, you know, once they get through the Olympics and then the, Canada has time to make their plan back in the qualifying and then back into the World Cup, I have to assume Bianca is going to be a big part of those plans. Well, that's, uh, that's great to hear. Hopefully she has a healthy and speedy recovery. Um, in terms of uh, all, of, all of the players, right, because we, whenever we see a preseason roster, we, we always, uh, you know, know that it's going to be a large amount of players, whether it's the, the players that have already been contracted, um, any potential new draftees, any, uh, you know, non-roster invitees. Um, so in terms of getting all of these players in, into market, I wanted to hear your perspectives a little bit on this essentially being the longest preseason ever and your thoughts on that. You know, typically in years prior, uh, it hasn't been as long as the preseason. We're talking like two plus months, right? About 10-ish weeks. Um, the Red Stars have often had often participated in that spring invitational out in Portland with a few other teams. Uh, what does it mean like, uh, uh, what does it mean for you personally as a coach to be able to have all of this time, um, you know, with your team ahead of what's going to be a challenge cup and what's going to be uh, a regular season? Cause I know in, in years prior when we've had discussions around that spring invitational, there's always been a lot of chatter about how there's never enough time to, to have with the team ahead of a season. 
Well, the good news is the length of the preseason is perfect. And I'm hopeful going forward that so we get this amount of time every year. The bad news is, is that due to COVID, it's almost impossible to schedule games against anybody. <clears throat> so one of the reasons I think you see teams bringing in large number of players is because you're going to have to have a lot of inter-squad games in your preseason to try to replicate and facilitate 11 v 11 matches. Uh, we did look in the Portland for this year. It just didn't make sense with everything that we have going on and the testing protocols we have to follow and taking the players out into a hotel for seven to 10 days. Um, it just didn't make sense to do with, with what we're dealing with. We certainly have been trying to schedule colleges, um, but the colleges have to be willing to follow our NWSL protocols for two weeks in order to play us. And there are a few that are already under those same protocols, but then trying to find availability in their schedules has been hard. So the length of the preseason is great. I would say anywhere from eight to 10 weeks is what a proper preseason should be. Um, unfortunately, with the colleges having a, a, a real spring season, um, they lose the flexibility to schedule games. And with COVID and trying to make smart decisions to keep everybody safe, it just kind of handcuffs you on where you can go to get games. So I'm still hopeful we might be able to get a game with Kansas City or with Louisville sometime in March. Um, but other than that, you have to have big numbers in your preseason because you're probably playing each other a lot. Yeah, just to follow up, uh, we saw that you had recently uh, you had recently shouted out Loyola and the Ramblers. You guys had a little bit of a scrimmage with that. So was that something um, that came to light out of, like, circumstance, a combination of that? Or were, was that maybe a school that you guys had had on your target board to always maybe have a potential scrimmage with? I think we've called every college within a 100-mile radius, to be honest, to see if they want to play. Um, I've known Barry a long time, who's the coach of Loyola, and they were in the testing protocol. They had the open weekend, and he was willing to do it, so we did it. Um, you get some college coaches who simply don't want to play, right? They don't want to bring their college team to play a pro team, and um, that's certainly their decision. And then you have others who would like to play, but aren't on the same testing protocol. Some schools only have to test once a week. We test twice a week. So the school doesn't want to pay for an additional round of testing for two weeks. Um, and then you have some schools that want to play and are actually on the testing protocol, but finding availability within their schedules is hard due to them having a real spring season. So just a lot of things happening, kind of like the perfect storm all coming together. Uh, but yeah, Loyola worked out simply because they had an opening, they were doing the testing, and Barry was willing to play. <clears throat> so talking preseason a little bit, um, going turning into the Challenge Cup, um, we had a lot of conversations last year about um, the lack of preseason going into the 2020 Challenge Cup, how there just wasn't a lot of time together for the team. That group stage, you guys went through that with a very specific mindset. Um, now that you have a full preseason, how do you handle – I guess maybe the bigger question is, do you have a particular um, idea of what you want the challenge cup to be in the context of the larger year? Or is it just like, we want to win as many games as we can right away? Well, I think we would always like to win as many games as we can in anything. I think what we'll use the challenge cup for <laughs> will be determined when we get a little bit closer to it and we see how many games we've been able to play prior to it. Um, I, I believe the, the national team players are gone for maybe the first two games of the Challenge Cup as well. So 
who we have available, the health of everybody will play into it. But we would certainly prefer to try to play the games to win as much as we can and to try to win the Challenge Cup. Um, and I think you guys both know when we get closer and, and we set a definitive path with it, I'll certainly share it with everybody. Um, but we haven't gotten that far because we're still in the build-up phase. And we have a, an inner squad on Sunday, which will be the first time that we've tried to push a whole bunch of players 90 minutes. I think we only had one player that played 90 minutes in that Loyola game because um, that was the only one who I felt in this, our staff felt physically could do that. So we need to push on here this week, play Notre Dame the following week. And then I think once we get through that Notre Dame game, we'll have a much better feel for the group. And then we'll set the, the goals for what we're going to use the Challenge Cup for. But if we're healthy and able, we will certainly do our best to try to win. You know, Rory, in terms of like um, just logistics for the Challenge Cup, because obviously when the league announced the the framework for how the 21, uh, 2021 season was, was going to, take uh take place having the draft having a long preseason having a challenge cup and then a regular season with expanded playoffs um since then it's also been like it's been reported by <laughs> your colleague rich richie burke uh that the the setup for for how challenge cup is going to look is that there's going to be like a two separate kind of i guess what are our pods uh so x amount of teams are, are playing over here and the next amount of teams are, are playing over there um so i'm just wondering like how you're feeling in terms of the logistics of, of this current challenge cup uh moving forward because obviously it's a little bit different it's not necessarily what it was in terms of like a bubble environment and stuff like that yeah i mean i think i'd be happy to play in anything that wasn't a bubble so um, we are in pods. That is accurate. Um, so yeah, I mean, simple answer, anything that's not a bubble, anything that lets us to have some home games and not have to be stuck somewhere for 30 days. I'm I'm fine with beggars can't be choosers. So, um, with the layout I've seen and what they have set up, um, I'm, I'm much happier with that than what we did last year. And then moving into, I mean, again, you kind of answered this already, but, um, probably going to see a lot of rotation um lots of different people getting looks as you said no u.s players uh at the beginning of the challenge cup and i kind of wonder if in terms of like you said you're not sure if you're going to have replacement players for the olympics there's no olympic break this year um would you say that some of those players that are on the periphery of the of the roster might be getting looks in the challenge cup as kind of a look towards whether they're going to be players in the middle of that regular season Hmm. Well, that's a tricky question because the only way I can get them looks in the Challenge Cup is if they're under contract. So those those players that we talked about earlier that are competing for contracts, the only way I could use them in games in the Challenge Cup is if they've been given contracts. So in theory, what you're asking, the answer would be yes. But at the same time, we can only use contracted players in that event and we don't get replacement players for the national team. So they're going to have to, they're going to have to have earned the ability to, to get into that in order to be used that way. I do think we have players under contract that we will certainly give runouts in the challenge cup to see what they can do against proper NWSL competition. So we have an idea when the Olympics roll around what we look like. Um, but I also think the, the strongest part of our team this year is going to be our depth and how many good players we have. 
but I think we did it. I mean, I think you can make the argument that we have minimally 20 players under contract who are good enough to start in the league. So an event like the Challenge Cup where, you know, you're going to play games on short rest and have to be able to rotate players, I certainly feel like we're well adjusted to be able to have success in that because of the depth of our our group. And then getting more specific, um, we haven't talked to you since the the big trade for Mal Pugh and Sarah Woldmo. Um, and I actually want to specifically talk about the midfield because you've got four starting quality midfielders, five with Julie Ertz, if that's where she's going to be playing before, before the Olympics. Um, <laughs> without giving too much away, <laughs> is there going to be a push to try to get as many of those players on the field as possible? Or is this really, truly fierce competition for three starting roles? I think I would say we have six if I count Nikki Stanton. True. So I would say that depending on what a shape we're playing out of will dictate a little bit of how many get on the field. But um, to answer your question, no, it's, I mean, we need competition within the squad, you know, places shouldn't be, set people shouldn't feel that as long as they're healthy and able to play they have a spot people need to perform throughout the duration of a week to keep a spot and then there need to be people that are pushing those players to try to take the spot and in doing so both get better and I think if you go through our midfield over the the last two to three years it's been more uh you know duct tape and band-aids to hold it together than to be the engine of our team and so not only have we added depth, but everybody's actually everybody's actually um, playing more. Again, I'm not going to use the healthy word. Everybody's actually playing more than they have in the past in preseason. So I think it's a good thing. And with the amount of games that we're going to play this year between the Challenge Cup, the league, the tournament in the middle of the season, you know, it'd be, it'd be foolish to not think that either A, somebody's going to take some sort of knock or players are going to need to be rotated but it'll be nice to, to be able to rotate players and not have to change the principles of how we play because we have good enough players, not just one through three, but four through six that can come in and, and carry out how we want to play. And I think that's one of the things that's most exciting. And I would say our front line, if you go through all the forwards we have, you know, the competition to get onto the field amongst those players is going to be fierce as well. And that's exactly what we want. So then let's take a look at this is more general questions. Um, in terms of 2020 being a learning year in a lot of ways, a lot of players got looks on the field. Um, it was the, the league going through something truly unprecedented in terms of what they were trying to figure out with logistics. How does that, and maybe there's not an answer to this, but I guess my question, I'm very curious, how does 2020 kind of change a team? I mean, I know that players have talked a lot about how the core is closer uh, because of the time spent at the challenge cup and kind of going through that together. Um, you know, we've started having really difficult conversations in terms of supporting the black lives matter movement. Uh, what do you think has changed within the squad and how do you carry that into this year in a positive way? Yeah. I mean, I would think that's a really deep question. And I would say the answer that you gave that most teams have said is probably consistent for us. Um, outside of what everybody else went through, I would just say one of the bigger things that our group 
grew into was just awareness, awareness of so many things that we probably weren't aware enough of before. Um, and making sure we continue to, to follow through on things that were discussed there and continue to educate ourselves. Um, but we've always had a very close group. I don't think that's a secret. I would just say that the closeness, they grew in a different way together this, uh, when we were there and a lot went on, but those would be my two big things. Continuing to be aware and continuing to educate ourselves, I think are the things that we'll carry out of that into this year. Rory, just, um, I guess to, to close out in, in terms of like looking ahead and maybe generate a little bit of excitement uh, to, to end the episode, you know, uh, we've uh, noticed that there's still, even within present preseasons, uh, you know, we're still seeing some, some roster signings being announced for other teams. Um, right now is, is the plan to move forward, you know, with, with your current group or, you know, is, is Chicago still looking to add to the roster? Is, is there, are there players that you're keeping an eye on? What, what can you fill us in on there? Sandra, you're not supposed to ask me those questions. Um, <laughs> I, I think we have, I think we have one more player that's currently playing in Europe that we may bring in to the squad. But outside of that, we feel very good about the group that we have and we plan to roll with what we got. You know, we're excited about our team. We're excited about the work they've been putting in. We're excited about the core that we've brought back that's been close but hasn't quite been able to kick down that door. And, you know, that's that's our end game this year is to be able to finally kick down that last door. And we have a lot of players that know what that means and know the work it's going to take to get there. We've added some pieces that we think are important to help us do that. But outside of uh, the previously mentioned player, you know, we're not looking at anybody else. We have the group that we want to go with and we're ready to go. But then, Roy, I, I think that's a, a great uh, way to cap off this episode. Love to uh, catch up with you as always. Uh, appreciate you and, and your candor, and uh, we're going to wish you good luck for the rest of the preseason. And uh, hopefully uh, we don't let as much time pass uh, before we uh, go ahead and invite you back on the show and have a chat again, okay? Sounds good, guys. Looking forward to a great season. Thanks for all that you do. Thanks, Roy. Thanks, Roy.